Go with me, please, to Luke, the seventh chapter. For some weeks now, we've been on a a subject we're calling the greatest faith. The greatest faith. We've already covered a lot of ground. If you haven't been with us, you can catch up. You can go online and um, see, hear, download if you want to, the previous messages. It won't cost you anything. And we've been seeing uh, faith that Jesus marveled at. Faith that amazed the Master. Would you like to have such faith (laughs) that the Lord looks at you and your faith and goes, that's wonderful, (laughs) that's that's amazing, faith. Now, I don't think the Lord is amazed over nothing things, insignificant things. Look with me in this passage, Luke 7, verse 1. I'm reading this in the Living Bible, Luke 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished his sermon, he went back to the city of Capernaum. Just at that time, the highly prized slave of a Roman army captain was sick and near death. When the captain heard about Jesus, and this is how all faith starts, when you hear, right? You hear about the master. What is the gospel? Good news. How does faith come? By hearing the anointed word, what the Lord has said. And uh, the captain heard about Jesus. Well, what motivated him to do what we're about to read? He heard what? About the good things that's been happening, right? In the ministry of Jesus. He heard, this starts off talking about he has a servant who's very sick and in suffering and in pain. And he hears about people getting healed. He hears about people getting delivered. We don't know exactly how he heard, but a lot of it had been happening, and it was no secret. He hears about it, and instead of trying to explain it away, or instead of saying, well, you just never know, <laughs> he, he gets stirred up that something can happen for them. Hallelujah. And so he, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask Jesus to come and heal his slave, his servant. Keep going. So they began pleading earnestly with Jesus to come with them and help the man. They told him what a wonderful person the captain was. If anyone deserves your help, it's he, they said. For he loves the Jews and even paid personally to build us a synagogue. I don't think this is what the average centurion did. Was go around financing synagogues. So this man obviously has honor for God. Jesus went with them. But just before arriving at the house, the captain sent some friends to say, Sir, don't inconvenience yourself by coming to my home. Now, how many people would say, No, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house? But now, this is only one of two individuals 
in all the thousands that Jesus ministered to in his earthly walk that he said had great faith, the greatest faith he had ever seen. So what we're studying is what is different about this man that allows him to have this kind of faith that Jesus marvels at. And this is a big part of it right here. He didn't think the Lord owed him anything. Y'all with me, friend? He wasn't presuming. He wasn't assuming. And you need to understand, Rome was controlling the Jews and these, these areas. And so he, politically and militarily, civil power, he has it over all of the synagogues. He has it over Jesus. You know, in, in an ungodly centurion's mind, he just sends soldiers and if need be, drag Jesus in there. But not only did he not try to do something like that, he didn't even think that because of who he was, that anything was owed to him, not even a personal audience. This is humility. And great faith is inseparable from great humility. You you show me a person of great faith, I'll show you a humble person. Every time. Because before faith is grace. You wouldn't even know you needed to believe. (laughs) If it wasn't for the grace of God. You wouldn't know what to believe. If it wasn't for the grace of God. You wouldn't be able to believe. If it wasn't for the grace of God. But God gives his grace to the humble. The proud get resisted. Don't get help. So you come to God acting entitled because you're a good Christian. Because <laughs> you go to church, because you've done things for people, because you've given. You're not in a position where He can help you. Because you can't be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. Oh, did you hear that phrase? You can't be gracious. I I didn't come up with that. The Lord gave me that phrase years ago. You can't be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. Even if you did it for them, they wouldn't even be thankful. They think you owed it to them. Come on, can you see that? Well, nothing in the provision that Jesus has gotten for us is owed to us. None of it. Sometimes some bad things happen to people. You'll hear them cry out and say, well, what did I ever do to deserve this? The answer is lots, plenty. You've missed it. You've come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. You don't want to talk about what you deserve. You want to talk about grace and mercy, how Jesus took what you deserved so you could get what you didn't deserve. And so this man is approaching Jesus. Well, you know, this he doesn't know so much of what you and I are talking about today. But by the grace of God, he just he knew in his heart this man is representing God. 
He didn't know he was God manifested in the flesh, I don't think. But these things that are happening, this is God. And so he wanted to show the utmost respect. So he didn't think he was someone should be approaching Jesus, even personally. He's a man with blood on his hands. He's a, he's a fighting man. He's, he's been a hard man. And uh, because he has this relationship with the rulers of the synagogue, he asked them, would you go and ask him about my, my servant who's sick? And so when Jesus hears it, he says, I'll come and heal him. Praise God. I'll come and heal him. So when the man sees Jesus coming, before he can even get to his house, he sends friends to him. And he says, uh, verse 6, Sir, don't inconvenience yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of any such honor or even to come and meet you. Now, a lot of folks don't like the sound of that because they say, well, no, no, no. Now, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ. Not in you. In you and what you've done and who you are. You're not worthy to come before his presence. The only reason you and I will ever get to come into the presence of the holy of holies. It's too holy for us. Naturally. But Jesus has taken our sin. Was judged in our place. Gave us his righteousness to put on. So we could be acceptable. So we could come in to his presence. But that's a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's a gift. Oh, somebody say gift, gift, gift. And when you've been given gifts like this, you shouldn't be arrogant. You shouldn't be haughty. You should be humble. Right? You should say, oh, thank God, thank God. I'd have never got in. I'd have never got in. I could have never received anything. But the Lord gave it to me. Hallelujah. Washed me. Cleansed me. Made me holy. So now I can come boldly. Whoo. <laughs> right into the presence. Before the throne of God. Not arrogantly. Confidently. Not proudly. Can you see this? Friends? He said, uh, sir, I'm not worthy of any such honor. Or even to come meet you. He's talking about personally. That's why I sent these people. Just speak a word from where you are. And my servant boy will be healed. I know because I'm under the authority of my superior officers. I have authority over my men. I only need to say go. And they go. Or come. And they come. To my servant do this or that. And he does it. So just say. Be healed. <laughs> <laughs> and my servant will be well again. Oh, do you see why he's in the book? You see why this man's in the book? Just, just give the order. Just give the command. Be healed. And my servant will be well again. Next verse. 
Jesus was amazed. I want you to say that out loud. Jesus, Jesus was, amazed. was amazed. Come on, say it again. Jesus, Jesus was amazed. And turning to the crowd, he said, Never among all the Jews in Israel have I met a man with faith like this. That included all the rulers of the synagogue. That included all the priests. That included the 70 that he had sent out. That includes the 12. He, had, he said, I had never seen faith like this in the whole country. All of God's covenant people, never. This is remarkable. This is amazing. Why are we given this? Just to ooh and ah? <laughs> or to be inspired? And to learn, is it possible we can have yes. such faith as this? Yes. Yeah, well, this, this man, he's a fighting man. And we, we, don't, we can't assume that he knows a bunch of scriptures. We don't know how much he's able to pray. He, he's not what you just think of as the person who'd have the greatest faith in the country. He's a soldier. He's been busy fighting. On campaigns. His job is to train his men. And lead his men. He has you know, possibly hundreds of men under him. It depends. But Jesus turns around and says. I hadn't seen faith like this. Anywhere. Never. Among all the Jews in Israel. And with this, the other case. Was the Syrophoenician woman. Again. Not even a Jewish proselyte. Probably this woman couldn't even read and write. Probably knew nothing about the scriptures. And yet, how do we see such great faith with her? We've talked about it. We've studied about it already. But she kept humbling herself. She kept humbling herself. She went, and when they wouldn't even talk to her, she didn't run away and get mad. When the disciples said, would you send this lady away? She didn't get offended. She just kept humbling herself. When Jesus said, it's not right, take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, man, that would have been the last straw for a lot of people. But she said, truth, Lord. Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs, the, the word is for little dogs. The little dogs, someone under the table, get the crumbs. I believe a big smile broke across Jesus' face. He said, woman, <laughs> in other words, woman, you won't quit, will you? <laughs> woman, <laughs> for this saying, for what you just said, your daughter will be delivered and healed. Here's a woman outside the covenant. Huh? She's got no rights to anything and yet gets a miracle. Hallelujah. Because of her great faith. I want you to go with me, please, to Matthew, the 13th chapter, and I want you to see the other extreme of what we're talking about today. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Again, I'm going to read this in the, the Living Bible. Matthew 13, 44, the Living Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure a man discovered in a field. In his excitement, he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field and get the treasure too. Why is Jesus telling them this? Why is he telling, had it recorded for us too? 
Why? Another word for honor is value. Value or worth. The more you honor something means the more you value it. The more you value it. I know several years ago, so it's been almost uh, 15 years ago now, a friend of ours in the ministry got an airplane. And they were so excited. They traveled. I mean, they traveled nonstop. Well, a lot of people just have a hissy fit <laughs> over a preacher getting an airplane. But why? You know, I mean, if it's not costing them money, why do they care so much? What's, what's the, the real thing going on here? Well, they, uh, they told us they had got it. And they were about a, they were going to land about an hour away. So we thought, well, we'll come. We'll drive, Phyllis and I, we'll drive over and see it. We'll get in there and pray over it. Shout with you. Right? Celebrate. Why? Because you're going to be able to do so much more. And you're going to be so much more rested doing it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a good thing. It's a blessing. Thank God for the airlines. But there is a better way. <laughs> and uh, so we got there. We're in the plane shouting, praising God, praying. And uh, some of the guys at work, we call, they're called line guys, worked at uh, marshalling the planes in and out and, and fueling them and that kind of thing. One of them knew both me and this minister, and he was happy to see us. And I came out, and oh, he, his face was red. He was, he was livid, man. He was mad. He said, Brother Keith. He said, I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock somebody out. I said, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. What you, who are you going to knock out? He pointed over, and, and there was some guys scoffing and mocking and cussing. He said, man, them guys have been saying some bad stuff about you and brother so-and-so here. He said, uh, you know, they've been you know, making fun and, and mocking and said, what in the world does a preacher need with, a, with an airplane and, and all this kind of stuff? And, and uh I said, I said, no, 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 settle down, settle down. You're not going to knock anybody out. And, and I had never said this before, the reason I'm telling you about it. It came right up out of my spirit. I said, they see no value in what we do. Oh, do y'all hear that? They see no value in what we do. So as far as they're concerned, that is a criminal blowing and wasting of money that could be used for something important. Because, well, if you think that way, what are you saying about this? This is not important. Now, sitting right beside this brother's airplane, and his airplane at that time was 20-something years old, and it was a, you know, a middle-sized one. There, sitting right beside his was a brand-new Gulfstream Dwarfed his plane, new, cost ten times probably more that Dillard's owned. Dillard's. And uh, these guys had not said one word about Dillard's airplane. Because, you know, they have underwear and household goods, and that's important. <laughs> Can you see what I'm talking about? Why? I mean, we've got no problem. And you know, on the other end of the ramp is probably a, 
baseball player's airplane, or the other end of the ramp is some, you know, uh, actor's airplane, or this guy owns a uh, shock absorber, you know, company, and uh, but that, that's important. Shock absorbers are important. <laughs> but preachers see no respect at all. That's coming from the enemy. Come on, can you see that? He is, the devil is the despiser. He is the demeanor. He is the devaluer. He's always trying to inspire scoffing and sarcasm and mockery. Different ways of saying disrespect. Disrespect. You know, sarcasm is everywhere. And you don't want it in your mouth. It's an ungodly thing. Most people have been around it all their life. They grew up with it. They use it so much they don't even notice it. But it's ungodly. We should say what we mean and mean what we say. And we should say things with kindness. Sarcasm and satire is meant to cut. It's meant to hurt. It's meant to to defame and, and to, to cut down, to disrespect. We are believers. We're sons of the living God. We're to edify, not tear down, edify. Edify means build up, build up. Ephesians says, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers. Use your words not to slap somebody with sarcasm but to build up. Right? And it doesn't have to be everything you're seeing. The strongest faith calls those things that be not as though they were. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And so if somebody's acting crazy and bad, you may be tempted to agree with what you're seeing and keep speaking bad things over them. But what's that going to help? They're already there. You're just going to enforce it? Say something good. Come on, help your neighbor. Tell them, say, say something good. Say something good. Say something that edifies. Say something that quickens that encourages, that builds up. Hallelujah. Man, it's a wonderful thing. It's a, the Lord has used me, especially with other ministers and other people. Maybe they're going through a hard time or a situation. I'll start looking. If I'm around them or if I have something to do with it, I'll start looking and asking the Lord for words. Not just some random thing off the top of my head, but the Bible talks about words that are apples of gold in pitchers of silver. What does that mean? The perfect thing to say right now. And there's been times I've put a hand on a brother or sister's shoulder, and I said what the Lord told me to say, and I could see the pain 
leave their face. Oh, glory to God. I could see encouragement come in. I didn't do that. The Lord did it. But he used my mouth. Will he use your mouth? The devil wants to use your mouth. Do you know that? The devil really wants to use your mouth. He wants to hurt people around you with the sarcasm, with the mockery, with the scoffing, the judging, all this other stuff. But you're not one of those persons. You're not yet, you're not letting, come on, I want you to say this out loud. I'm not allowing the enemy to use my mouth to tear down. I yield my mouth and all my members to the Holy Spirit to edify, to build up. Hallelujah. Give the Lord something to work with. Now I want you to notice, keep reading this, this is about valuing something enough that you liquidate other things to get that thing. In verse uh, 45, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. He discovered a real bargain, that's the living Bible. A pearl of great value, uh, even though it's a bargain, don't mean it's cheap. He sold everything he owned to get it. What does this have to do with being a Christian? The kingdom of God. It's about your value system. It's about what you value versus what you don't. Skip on down to verse 53. I wanted you to see this because all this flows together. Verse 53, when Jesus had finished giving these illustrations, he returned to his hometown Nazareth in Galilee and taught there in the synagogue and astonished everyone with his wisdom and his miracles. Keep reading. How is this possible? The people exclaimed. He's just a carpenter's son. Did you hear that word, just? We know Mary, his mother, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and his sisters. They all live here. How can he be so great? And they became angry with him. In other words, who does he think he is? Going around talking all this big stuff. We know him. I mean, my... uh, My brother works with his brother down at the uh, convenience store. (laughs) My auntie helped change his diaper. His daddy fixed a plow stock for me one time. I mean, who who does he think he is? And Jesus told him, a prophet's honored everywhere except in his own country and among his own people. And so he did only a few great miracles there. Because of their unbelief. Now go to Mark's account of this. Mark 6. Read this together. Mark 6 and 1. I'm reading in the New Living Testament now. The New Living. Jesus left that part of the country. Mark 6, 1, New Living. And returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. 
The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. Did you hear that? Scoffed, mocking. He's just a carpenter. The son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed. Have you heard this phrase before? He was amazed, but this time it wasn't good. Can you see the other end of the spectrum? He was amazed at the centurion's faith. He said, I hadn't seen faith like this anywhere in the whole country, among all of God's covenant people, among any synagogue. I've never seen faith like this. And here he's amazed at their unbelief. And it hindered the anointing on Jesus' ministry. Did you see that? Back to verse 5. Didn't say he chose not to do some things. He what? Couldn't. You look up this word, that's exactly what it means. Couldn't. What do you mean Jesus couldn't do something? He's operating as a man. Anointed by the Holy Spirit. Even though he's God, he's not operating as God. Well, if unbelief hindered the ministry of Jesus, it'll hinder any other ministry, any other anointing since then. He couldn't do any mighty miracles there. Now, the centurion got a mighty miracle, didn't he? The Syrophoenician woman got a mighty miracle. These folk didn't get mighty miracles. Where can we see the the difference? Here's a very simple thing. With the centurion, we see great respect. Don't we? Great respect. Great deference. Humility. With these guys, what do we see? Just the opposite. No respect. Disrespect. Respect and faith go hand in hand. Unbelief and disrespect go hand in hand. Can't separate them. Honor, respect's another word for honor. Now, it got worse, this disrespect at the cross. Have you read about what happened in the mocking there? Let me remind you of it. In Matthew 27... Matthew 27, 39, at the cross, I'm reading the Living Bible again. Matthew 27, 39, at the cross, people passed by and hurled abuse, shaking their heads at him and saying, So, you can destroy the temple and build it again in three days, can you? Well, then come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. Why are they saying such things? 
Who's behind this? The devil. I mean, if you'd have been there, you'd have seen these people and you'd have heard these words coming out of their mouth, but you're hearing the devil. You're hearing straight from the devil. And we need to identify these kind of things because he hadn't changed. He's still doing the same stuff today. And when you hear this tone and when you hear this sarcasm and mockery and disrespect, you are hearing the devil. You're hearing it. And you want to shut it off. You certainly don't want it coming out of your mouth. You do not want to be a mouthpiece for the enemy of God. Verse 41, the chief priests and Jewish leaders also mocked him. Now here, here's the leaders of the, the synagogue. Here, the, the chief priests that has spent all their life studying the scriptures. Supposed to be men of prayer, men of faith. They're out here jeering at the master. He saved others. They scoffed, but he can't save himself. So you're the king of Israel, are you? Come down from the cross and we'll believe you. He trusted God. Let God show his approval by delivering him. Didn't he say, I'm God's son? Oh, friend, do you feel like me? I don't ever want the spirit of that kind of words coming out of my mouth. It's straight from the pit, straight from the devil himself. And of course, how much faith is in this? None at all. There is zero faith. More disrespect you see, the less faith you see. In Luke 23, 23, 34, Luke's account of this is enlightening. Also the living Bible. Luke 23, 34, when they nailed Jesus to the cross, he said, verse 34, Father, Forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. And they didn't. The soldiers gambled for his clothing, throwing dice for each piece. The crowd watched and the Jewish leaders laughed and scoffed. He's, he's hanging on the cross, suffering, and they're laughing at him. He was so good at helping others, they said. Let's see him save himself if he's really God's chosen one, the Messiah. Why, why am I talking about this, friends? Certainly, we want to appreciate what Jesus has done. But we're still talking about living by faith, day in, day out. You can't separate faith from respect. Respect for God. Respect for his word. Respect for his spirit, his people, his ministers, his ministries, his church, his things. And we live in a generation that is so disrespectful. The rebellion sown in the 50s and 60s has now multiplied. We got generations of folks that have never known honor and respect. Their parents didn't teach them any because they weren't taught any of their sin. No respect. If you never show respect to people, you don't respect God either. You don't just flip a switch when you come in church. Now you're all respectful. You are what you are. 
And if you have honor for God, it'll come out in honor and respect for people, for his things. And what does this have to do with me and me living a good life? It's your faith that's on the line. Without this respect, there is no faith. There's no faith. There's no coincidence that the greatest faith people, the centurion, the Syrophoenician, are the people who had the most humility and the most respect. The people who got nothing. Jesus was amazed at the centurion's faith. He's amazed at these people's unbelief. The people who got nothing. The most disrespectful, sarcastic, scoffing and mocking. Notice this though, how, how in the midst of this something good could come out. The soldiers mocked him, verse 36, offered him a drink of sour wine. and They called to him and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Disrespect and stupid. <laughs> but the other criminal protested. Don't you even fear God when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds. But this man hasn't done one thing wrong. And then he turned and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Respect. In the midst of such disrespect. Can you see this? Did he honor the Lord right there? Watch what happens next. <laughs> the Lord honors him. Jesus replied, today you're going to be with me in paradise. This is a solemn promise. Woo! Even though the whole world around you is spewing Mockery and sarcasm, disrespect in the midst of it. Even if you're a lone voice, you can express honor. You can show respect to God, to his words. I know Brother uh, John Osteen, who's Brother Joel Osteen's father, who's in heaven now. He was in a place of business one time and got in the elevator and he starts going up and and these guys were in the elevator with him. One of them just was cussing, cussing, using the Lord's name in vain. And so Brother John began to say, praise God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. And they stopped and looked at him and they said, what in the world? He said, you going to cuss him? I'm going to praise him. <laughs> we should not be ashamed. We should not allow this negative, sarcastic, judging, you know, disrespectful world to influence us to the point where we conform and act like them and talk like them. When you show respect for God, it's going to stand out in this dark, respectful world, but it needs to. It's part of your witness, right? You may be talked about. You may be persecuted for it, but that's part of the deal. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You don't come across holier than thou, but you just don't join in with the disrespect. 
You refuse to participate. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even in the height, at the height of disrespect, we see somebody showing respect and honor. And God honored him on the spot. I mean, right there. On the cross. Everybody else is saying all this junk. And he told the guy on the other side, basically, are you stupid? Are you an idiot? You're about to die. He said, he turned around and said, Master, remember me. When, so he's not saying, if you're a king, prove it. He says, you are a king. You got a kingdom. When you get in there, got a spot for me? Got a spot for me? Criminal? The Lord looked at him. Today, you're going to be with me. Woo. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Go to Acts 17, please. I tell you what, I I don't think I have time right now for Acts 17. Go to Malachi 2. Is that all right? I brought more ammunition than I can fire in this amount of time. So, (laughs) that's better than not having enough, right? That's better than running out of bullets, right? In the middle of the conflict. So, (laughs) Malachi 2, I want you to notice this. In closing, I think. Malachi 2 5. Jesus said this. He said, Don't cast your pearls before swine or pigs. Don't give that which is holy to the dogs. What does that mean? Don't cast your pearls. And we just got through reading about the pearl of great price. And somebody willing to liquidate everything else to get that. This is what you value. And uh, why not give your pearls to pigs? Pigs don't see any difference between a pearl and a pebble. You come home crying Somebody say, what's wrong? I bought my pig a $30,000 string of pearls and I gave them to them and they just (laughs) broke them and they stomped them in the mud and I don't even know where they are. Well, you're dumb. Right? (laughs) Forgiving the pearls to the pigs. God's not dumb. God's not dumb. He doesn't give precious things to people who don't value them. To people who don't appreciate them. So, I know some years back the Lord asked me a question in prayer. He said, Keith, would you like to know how to increase your capacity to receive from me? Well, it didn't take me any time at all to answer that question. I said, yes, yes, and please, yes. He said, cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Cultivate means it's not going to happen automatically. You've got to make an effort to do it. A lifestyle is not just something you do on Sunday for a few minutes. This is day in, day out. Of what? Lifestyle of what? You don't, you're not thankful for things you don't value. Can you see this, friend? You, you're not thankful for things you don't value. And the more you value something, the more sincerely grateful you are. Yes. 
you're thankful. When you really appreciate, did you hear that term? Appreciate, that's an economic term. Something appreciates or depreciates. When you appreciate means you value it more. The value increases to you. And when that happens, God is pleased that you, out of all the billions on the planet, most of them won't give him the time of day, but you got up and came to church this morning. Because you appreciate church. You value the word. You value the spirit. And the more you do that, it pleases him. He'll give you more. And if you appreciate that, he'll give you more. And if you appreciate that revelation or that anointing, he'll give you more. He'll give you more. He'll give you more. Hallelujah. The more respectful you are. I know the last... uh, Well, let me read this and then then I'll say that. In in, uh, Malachi 2 and verse 5, he's talking about Levi here. The priesthood was Aaron and his sons. They went into the Holy of Holies. They handled the sacrifices. The Levites handled all the natural things set up and tear down of the tabernacle. I mean, the fires, the wood, the on and on. God chose Levi to handle all of his things. And here he tells why. The Lord tells why he chose Levi instead of somebody else. He said, my covenant was with him of life and peace. I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. This is not just tormenting fear. This is reverential fear. A lot of other translations translate it reverence and respect. Listen to the, uh, the complete Jewish Bible. He said, for the reverence, he revered me and he stood in awe of my name. God's word translation says he respected me. And he stood in awe of my name. The easy to read says, Levi respected me and showed honor to my name. That's why Levi was chosen instead of one of the other leaders and his seed after him. It is still this way today. God knows the heart. And the people who get to handle the holy things, who get to handle the revelation, the blessing, who get to experience the presence are those who value his things, who esteem them. He doesn't give the holy to the dogs. He doesn't cast his pearls before swine. I know some years ago I was thanking God for how good he had been to Phyllis and myself and thinking about the things we had enjoyed already. This was years ago. People We'd gotten to be around and fellowship with that in my mind are God's generals. Those leading in the body of Christ. Some of the services we had been in and the presence of God we had experienced and the things we had seen and the messages we've heard. Some of the best on the planet without question. And I realize there are people on the planet never heard one good faith message. There are people on the planet that don't know anything about this. 
And I thought, well, why us, Lord? I mean, who are we? We were just some, you know, just some dumb country people. Knew nothing. Knew nobody. Why us? Get to experience this. And the Lord answered me. He answered me part of it that day. And the other was a couple of weeks later. He said to me, I don't mean I heard a voice, but inside me very distinctly. He said, Keith, I knew you would value it. And he reminded me of some of the first tapes that we got on being redeemed and faith. Phyllis and I got so excited about it. We'd come home every night with our tiny little cassette tape player and sit down on our plastic couch and play them and take notes. And I gave them to some of my friends because I thought, oh, man, this is so awesome. You've got to hear this. And one after the other, I asked them the next day or the next few days, what about it? Oh, I hadn't had time to listen to it. Come on, man, make time. You need to hear that. And even after they listened, some, did you hear it? Yeah, I listened to part of it. Part of it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know about all that. Does that sound familiar? What does it sound like? Who is he? That's just Joseph's boy. Right? What is he thinking he's got all this and can do all this? He could there do no mighty works. The Lord said, I I knew you'd value it. Later on, he said, and I knew you'd do something with it. (laughs) Do something with it. You'd use it. Praise God. I don't want to quit valuing it. I want to continue to receive. How about you? I don't want to stop doing something with it. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The greatest faith are those that have the greatest respect. It's inseparable. Why don't you stand on your feet, everybody? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.